0: So have you ever noticed that worry and coveting are connected together? You know, worry and coveting. Worry, um, we all do it. Anxiety, we all have it. But why? why? Why are we so anxious in life? Why do we get so worried? Now, you have your answers as to why. I have my answers as to why I get to worry. And here's the thing about my answers and your answers for yourself. Your answer is how you justify why you worry. I mean, now you have your answers. Also, psychology has its answers as to why we're worried. And Jesus has his answers as to why we worry. And I trust that Jesus answers, and I trust in his answers. Well, well, just put it this way. He's the one who predicted his death and and his resurrection and he pulled it off so yeah my belief and i'm just going to go on with what he says and whatever he says to be true yeah that i trust him over anyone else now at the core of it we worry because we do not trust we worry because we do not trust and when we do not trust You and I do something. It's our humanity that leads us to do something when we worry. We take control or we look to take control when we're worried. We look to take control of a relationship. Uh, We look to take control of our finances. We look to take control of that project at work when we're worried about it. And we look to take control. See, worry is the fear that difficulty or trouble may come. And how's that connected to coveting? Well, coveting is wanting what you do not have. And so when we worry, we take control and we covet control because we do not have control. And the main reason we want control is because we... Are you ready for this? The main reason you want control and I want control is because we don't trust someone else's control. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The things we want to control the most are often the things that cause us the most anxiety. Now, I've stated this before, and the times that I've stated this, either here or in other other environments, um, people don't disagree with that. It's a hard reality. We may not like that reality, but we can't disagree with that. And the opposite of that is true. The things you don't control are the things that you're not worried about. And here's another interesting thing. The things you want to control the most are the things in which you trust God the least. And that is difficult to admit. That's a confession that is hard for us to bring. So, are you most worried about your finances? Well, it's because it's the area in your life where you're trusting God the least. Are you most uh, worried about a relationship? Well, it's an area in your life that's a signal to where you're not trusting God. Are you worried uh, about your, your, your kids? Are you worried about your career? Are you worried uh, about your health? Are you worried about your future? Well, it's an indicator it's, that it's a part of your life that you may be trusting God the least and it's the area where you want the most control because you don't have it therefore the more you worry the more we covet and as a scholar william arndt put it we worry because we are afraid we may not have enough and we covet because we can never get enough now, not only does Jesus know the reasons as to why we worry, he has great news. He has what he would call good news for all of us worry warts, for all of us who worry, and therefore we covet more and more on that in a moment. My name is Casey, and I am so grateful to be together with you. For those of you that are new with us in the room, we are so grateful to share this time with you. For everyone that's online, we're so excited to be together with you wherever you are. And if you're new with us online or you're new with us in the room, we have a gift for you. Uh, for those of you in the room that are new with us, if you'll make your way to the welcome table, Miss Alicia's back there, and she'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. Um, also, if you think about it, fill out the Connect card that's located in the seat back of the chair in front of you, and you can just hand that to her. Um, for those of you that are new with us online, we have a gift for you, and they are posting a connect card link there. If you'll fill that out, we'd love to send you a gift um, for being sharing this time with us. And Westside, let's right now help me show everyone that's online and everyone that's new in the room how grateful we are to see them and be together with them. Will you do that with me? Yeah. So a couple weeks ago, we began this new series where we are looking and ex- we're taking excerpts from the gospel of Luke, where Jesus tells some amazing stories. These are parables. And we've, um, we're looking at these stories in Luke. And let me just say this. I've said this every week about the gospel of Luke. You know, the sole reason we have the gospel of Luke, we have the gospel of Luke solely because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because if it were not for the resurrection of Jesus, there would be nothing for Luke to write about. There would be nothing that, that Jesus would have said that would have been noteworthy to preserve in all of history. There, without the resurrection of Jesus, Luke would have nothing to write about, and the teachings of Jesus would have no importance to our everyday life. But because of the resurrection that, that of Jesus, then the claim that Jesus made about being God and the truths that Jesus shared through his teaching, they are true and they are life-giving. And this is why his stories are so important for you and I. See, and here's a serious big idea. See, this is the reason Jesus told these stories and Luke recorded these stories, is Jesus told stories that are keys to the kingdom of God. Keys. Keys. To help you understand the kingdom of God. A kingdom that Jesus would say is all, that this was the focus of his message. He would say, he would go around preaching the, preaching the kingdom and the good news of the kingdom of God. So his kingdom is good news. And it's good news for those of us who worry and those of us who covet more. Now, turn, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn into uh, to the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Or if you, like me, you read your Bible on your phone, you can unlock it. Unlock your Bible and scroll to Luke chapter 12. Uh, today, we're going to look at a story that Jesus shares to confront our greed. And he confronts our need to worry. Now, I just want to tell you right now, this is going to confront all of us. And it's going to confront our greed and our need to worry. And yes, some of us, <laughs> some of us are uh, we We feel like we have this spiritual gift of worry i 'm not going to ask you to you know identify yourself, but you know this is like your spiritual gift. I worry, and I am the gift to the world because I worry and I say that in humor, but there's also some of us, and I say this sincerely who worrying is something that you deal with and you deal with anxiety at a level, and you 're not going to faith it away in fact, you've tried to faith it away, and you can't and I wanted to let you know that we want to come alongside of you. And one of the ways that we're coming alongside of you is we've brought on a counselor. He's in the room. Hey, Dr. Grubbs is right here. Raise your hand, buddy. Um, so he's in the room. He, 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 we brought him on as a part-time counselor until we hire through our unshakable initiative uh, a full-time counselor because we want to help you in dealing with the anxiety that faith doesn't just seem to faith away, okay? So if you need help with that, I encourage you to open our app or go on our website, go to the care page and you can you know, f- see how to schedule an appointment with Dr. Grubbs. So, back to what jesus says here let me set this up in this time that jesus gives us this parable we're going to look at jesus had just spent some time talking a good amount of time talking to his disciples telling them pretty much this only fear god i mean only fear him do not fear any man do not fear what man can do to you fear what god can do to you because god is more powerful than any human being that god had created god is more powerful Be in fear of his amazing power. But you don't have to fear his amazing power like in a negative sense. You can fear this God and his power because this God cares for you. See, you can know, Jesus said to his disciples, you can know that God, you can fear him and you can fear him because God sees you and he cares for you. He, Jesus would describe that he knows, that, that God knows the very number of hair on your head. He knows that, 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 that how valuable you are. And he compares your value that he says, you're more valuable than the sparrows that are taken care of, that God takes care of. You are more valuable to him than they are. And then Jesus tells them, and this is (laughs) ironic in a way. Jesus tells them not to worry by giving them a great reason to worry. Okay, so this is what he says. You can look up in the passage. We're not going to read it right now. But he says something like this. Don't worry about what the authorities say when they question you because the Holy Spirit is going to be with you and he's going to give you anything and the exact thing that you need to say. Which it means... If the authorities are questioning the disciples, the disciples have been arrested. That is not a good thing. So the irony is, tell them, hey, don't worry. But here's the situation you're going to be in, by which we all would be worried about that situation. But he says, don't worry. And it's on the heels of that right there. That conversation that Jesus says this and tells in this next screen, this next scene Luke describes. And verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge? No, I'm just kidding. I'm inflecting. I just have fun reading that. (laughs) Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. Now, pause with me here because this isn't, like you might, why did they bring this matter to Jesus? Well, this was a common thing in that day and age. It would be uncommon for you to bring me that matter. But in that day and age, it would be common for them to go to the rabbi or the teacher and to say, hey, come help us. We need to figure this out. He's not breaking it and you're going to decide it because you you translate the wisdom of God. And so this is what the rabbi was commonly known for do, to do. And, and they did this often. But ironically, in this moment, Jesus is exasperated by this. And he's like, man, who appointed me a judge? Which is funny to me because he is the judge and, and all this. But who, I, who appointed me a, a, a judge over parties and matters like this? But that's the thing. It's, it's a matter. What is this a matter of? See, Jesus was more concerned about his purpose than their possessions. Jesus' purpose was to restore people to God, not property to people. And not what that's not what Jesus came to do. See, Jesus came for this. Jesus came to restore our relationship with God by sharing the good news of the kingdom of God, not to bring you and I more possessions. But in our American world, What does the kingdom of God equate to many of us? More possessions, an abundance of possessions. So I can see why, maybe you can see why Jesus was exasperated. See, this man was focused on the wrong things. And I can focus on the wrong things. And likely you focus on the wrong things too. Jesus came to restore humanity to God. And our possessions get in the way of, of our relationship with God. Therefore, Jesus says, greed is a trap. Watch out, be on your guard. He wants you to guard yourself against all types of greed. Another translation says, be on your guard against all types of, against all covetousness. See, life is more than more possessions. And Jesus then tells a parable a key to understanding the kingdom of God. And as Jesus shares this parable, I want you to, in your own way, just count or identify, highlight, mark, circle, whatever you want to do, all the times that he talks about this rich man saying the word my, or assuming ownership. In verse 16, he told them this parable, talking to the whole crowd, not just the man who had the question for Jesus. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Retire, buy a home in Del Boca Vista, Florida. Just seeing if you're listening. But God said to him, you fool and notice it's not just a oh, man you fool there's an exclamation mark because an exclamation mark because the greek here is like emphatic there's no punctuation in the greek but there's this this strong language it's portraying you fool this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself this is how, and this is now he looks, Jesus is not, he's looking back at the audience. And Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but it hits me square right here in the chest. And we've been asking a question over the last couple of weeks that um, we've been looking at this question. It's a question that I've found helpful and I've kind of just assimilated throughout how people teach to study uh, the parables and it's a question that I've encouraged you to ask what does this story or what does Jesus parable or Jesus story reveal about God what does Jesus story reveal about humanity and what does Jesus story reveal about the kingdom of God well, and we said every week that Jesus, he himself is the primary one who reveals God to us. You need to look to Jesus primarily to see who God is like, um, what God is like, because he himself in his words to say and in the action he does, he is the full revelation of the perfect revelation of God hu- to humanity. So we need to look no further than to Jesus. And then his parables reveal God in different ways. And in this parable, Jesus reveals uh, humanity and god as, as compare like two two counters in some ways and so i'm going to reveal some of these to you i want to I help you see these as jesus reveals these and in this parable jesus uh, highlights a key insight in verse 16 in verse 16 if you if you want to go back up to that it says the ground of a certain man a rich man yielded an abundant harvest now what yields the harvest the ground. And in that, maybe this was a trigger, and I think this was a trigger that Jesus used to get these Jews to to, to to think about a psalm that they likely memorized as a young child, Psalm 24, verses one and two, which says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, uh, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the waters and established it on the seas. He, uh, he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. See, If the ground provides, then the Jews would have likely connected and understood that it is God who provides. See, God created the earth and it all belongs to him. See, what's this show us about God? Shows us that God will provide us with all we have. God is the one who provides us with all we have. He is the... The, the, the provider, the rich man didn't, did not provide, but his assumption was he provided. And what's this? see the entire crop was God's favor through, from God's grace that governs the earth. And, but this rich man doesn't see it that way. See, the rich man is like humanity, and often I'm like that rich man, and sometimes you are like that rich man too. And we say things like in verse 17 when we think to ourselves, or we sometimes say to the self, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. By the way, did you count how many times Jesus said the word my? It's actually four if you include the myself. And actually, another neat thing is eight times in this, in the the Greek language, there is a version of I that is, that that the rich man, Jesus describes the rich man saying I. The ultimate selfishness in this rich man, this ultimate selfishness, which becomes what? Self-dependence, which is not self-awareness. It all came from me. It belongs to me. I earned it, I own it, and now I'll enjoy it and make life easy for myself. But God calls the rich man a what? A fool. See, the rich man was a fool to think he owned any of what he had. Just like I'm a fool to think that I own any of what I have. Or to think that I'm the sole provider of my success, of my wealth. See, to ignore all that we are and to ignore all that we have been given and and to ignore that it all comes from God and belongs to him makes us fools. To live selfishly is to live as a fool. And this shows us something else about God. God gives us life, and he knows when our life on earth ends. Look at verse 20 again. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? See, God knows when your life is going to come to an end. He, 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 he knows when that, he also knows where your life comes from. He knows your life comes from him and God demands something from us. He demands something from our lives. God gives you every breath that he, that is in your body. Every breath that you breathe is from the grace and the gift of God. And he knows your life comes from him and he sees your life outside of time. That you and I only see it in the spectrum of what we have in this this 4D environment that we live in. But he sees it in a whole different way. He sees how much time is subtracting in your life on earth every moment, every second, every minute, every hour, every day that goes by. He knows how much is left in your time of life on earth. And then God questions the rich fool that when he dies who will get all he has stored up for himself? See, when you die and come to the end of yourself, what will you have to show for yourself? If you only live for yourself, when you come to the end of your life, you will have nothing to show for yourself. And when the rich fool dies, who gets all the things he's stored up for himself? You know, Cassie and I, this past week, we went to an estate sale. It was interesting. I mean, of all the weeks to go to an estate sale, the week I've been studying for this message, and here's the irony is this this couple who knows their story, beautiful home, many beautiful possessions, ornate, valuable. They paid a lot of money for these things. And you could see the value in the prices that they had listed <laughs> of those. And The family in a state cell goes and gathers what they want and then there's a whole lot left over. And the reality is, is all the things that they thought they owned or they earned or they thought they worked for and they were theirs, they have no control over where it goes after they die. They have no control how others will value it or the value others will have for it. And who gets it? People. People that you don't know. And when the rich, rich fool dies in this story, who gets all the things he stored up for himself? This may be a Jesus nod to the Old Testament wisdom scripture of Ecclesiastes chapter two, verses 18 and 19, um, where, the, where the, the the wise writer says, you work for everything, yet you eventually become, the, but yet you, eventually your possessions become possessions of other people and you won't be able to control What they do with what you've earned or thought you earned, which leads to this. The rich man was a fool to think his life and his future were in his control. We are not as in control as we think we are or we want to be. And to live in pursuit of our will, to live in pursuit of my will, and exerting my control over what I will, instead of pursuing God's will, is to be a fool. And next, we see this about God. See, God desires that we are rich toward what concerns Him. Jesus clearly says this in verse 21. This is how it will be. Whoever stores up for themselves, but is not rich toward God, you can store up things for you, or you can, and, and you can be generous to what concerns you. But God, Jesus says, God wants you to be generous to what concerns Him. Not to live selfishly in a way that w- which we pri- the priority of concern is me. But when we are rich toward what concerns us, we are like a rich man who Jesus says is a fool. See, the rich man was a fool to worry about having enough and to be greedy for more than he needed. I often am like that rich fool, worried about not having enough and greedy for more than what I need. And when I'm in that place, when I'm in that place, I cannot be rich toward what concerns God. I cannot be rich toward what concerns God when the priority of concern is me. And when I'm in that place, when you are in that place, God is not our priority. We, ourselves, you are your priority. I am my priority. And God is not the priority. We can't be rich toward him when I'm the priority. So we see in this parable what it says about God. We see what it points out about our selfish, worried, and greedy humanity. Now, what does this see say about the God's kingdom? What does it say about God's kingdom? Well, I'm gonna let Jesus preach the rest of this message. And I'm gonna let him share this. And as I share this, this is my encouragement to you. Um, Listen to how Jesus directly answers what this says about the kingdom of God, and I want you to highlight the words that are or the phrases that are speaking to you in your season that you're in right now, in your own uh, in your notes or in your Bible. Highlight, identify however what you however you can how the Holy Spirit is speaking this and what the Holy Spirit wants you to take away. And then, verse twenty-two. He turns and he says to his disciples, and it just as interesting. So I believe the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write this down, and the Holy Spirit has preserved this 2,000 year old ancient text because God wants not just his disciples to hear these words that were standing there. He wants you and I to hear these words. So you and I know what God's kingdom does for our worry and our greedy need for more. So, verse 22. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barns, yet God feeds them. And, no, and how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can at a single hour to your life since you cannot do this very little thing why do you worry about the rest consider how the wild flowers grow they do not labor or spin Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And I got I to gotta pause right here because we can overlook that and just read over that. And I, I think Jesus addresses Solomon to bring attention to what the Israelites identified as the most prosperous kingdom in all of Israel. He was the most prosperous, the most wealthy. Solomon was the most rich king. Nations would flock to Israel because of the prosperity and the shalom that Israel had during this time. It was one of the most successful period, the most successful period in Israel's history. Jesus is bringing the good news of a better kingdom than Solomon had. Because Jesus is a much better king than Solomon could ever dream of being. Let that sink in. Verse 28 If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, how much more will He clothe you? You of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father and your father and your father And your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Let me read that again so it sinks in. Don't miss what I believe Jesus is wanting you to know and and believe and have faith in. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father, Jesus would identify your father is in heaven. And where is he in heaven? He is in the place of control over all things. Your Father in heaven is pleased, has been pleased to give you the kingdom. See, when you receive Jesus, you get God. And when you get God, you get God's kingdom. So you get all that you need. Verse 33, sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will not fail. It's an unshakable kingdom (laughs) where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, where your treasure is, where your treasure is, where my treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be Also. See, where your treasure is will determine whether or not you will be afraid. Where your treasure is will determine whether or not you worry. Where your treasure is will determine whether or not you covet control or covet more. Where was the rich fool's treasure? Where is my treasure? Where is your treasure? God is pleased to give us His kingdom. So we should make His kingdom our treasure. God is so pleased to give you His kingdom. This is why God's kingdom should be your priority. This is why Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 6 another time. Jesus taught this many different times, I believe. Matthew would record this in Jesus' sermon on that. This is why Jesus at that time would say, seek first the kingdom of God. Make his kingdom your treasure. Jesus would teach it here on the heels of this parable because it is a key to the kingdom of God. It is a key to those of us who are tempted to store up treasures on this earth and ignore eternity. It's a key to those of us who are worried in this life and fearful of the future. It is a key to those of us who suffer from this unhealthy, sinful greed for more than what we need. When you make God's kingdom your treasure, when you make God's kingdom your priority, Jesus says you don't understand. You have all you need. All you need. And here's a teaching big idea. I'll admit this is long. I don't like long teaching big ideas, but I... It's something I've memorized. It's something that's so true. It's all throughout scripture, but I, I, I want you to know this and I hope that you memorize this. God cares for his kingdom people. Everything we are and everything we have comes from God and belongs to him and we use it to glorify him. God cares for you. Jesus makes that clear in this teaching. God cares for every detail of your life. And He's pleased to give you the kingdom. And so how do we respond that he's in this kingdom? How do we receive this kingdom and live this kingdom out? How do God's kingdom people live then? Well, we live in a way that reflects that we believe that everything we are and everything we have, it comes from God. It belongs to him. So we live now in a way that we glorify God with all that we have. So what can we do today in response and begin to live our life to glorify God with all we have and all we are? I have two things for you. First thing, be grateful. Be grateful for all you have and be grateful for all that you are. Be grateful for all that you have and be grateful to God for all that you are. Because all you have and all you are comes from God. It belongs to him and he's given it to you. Now I've learned something powerful about gratitude, something powerful. We've talked many times about this, but I'm gonna just, I I wanna give you the things that I've learned about gratitude. Three things. First, you cannot actively complain about that which you are being grateful about. Try it, I dare you. You cannot be, it cannot, you can't, you just can't. When you're actively being grateful for it, you are not going to complain about it. You just can't do it. You cannot be complaining and grateful at the same time. You know what else I've learned? You you, you cannot worry about that which you are being grateful about. You cannot actively participate in worrying about something that you are actively being grateful about. They cannot coexist in the same mental space. Your mind was not built to do that. God didn't create your mind to do that. So be grateful for that which you are worried about. Be grateful, and in that moment, the worry cannot occupy that space. And when you begin to be grateful for it, worry is displaced. So be grateful for that which you may be worried about. Be grateful for all that you have. Be grateful for all that you are. Don't be worried about what you do not have. Be grateful for what you do have. And when you're grateful for what you do have, you will not be worrying about what you do not have. And last, take ownership. You cannot take ownership. You cannot hoard. That which you recognize doesn't belong to you, but you're grateful that it's been given to you. You can't do it. You cannot do it. So when you recognize that you didn't earn it, and it's not yours, but it is a gift from God on loan to you, you cannot hoard it. So, second thing be generous be generous toward god's kingdom purposes with all you have and with all that you are jesus said the rich fool was not rich toward god the the god's kingdom people are rich toward god we are rich as we defined earlier to what concerns him so what is god's concern God's concern is the reason Jesus came into this world. Jesus came into this world to establish the kingdom of God. A kingdom that is good news for anyone who believes in Jesus as Savior and receives him and follows him as Lord. God is concerned about his kingdom. And God is concerned that more people become a part of his kingdom. He wants you. To truly be rich. To truly be rich. And you are not rich by what you acquire. You are rich in what you give to his kingdom purpose. We are not rich because of what we get or what we store. We are rich because of what we give to advance his kingdom. And we can only give what we freely have received. So why? Why do we worry and why do we covet? When we are part of a kingdom that will never be shaken and we're a part of God's kingdom and why do we worry and why do we become so greedy when God has been pleased to give you his kingdom? And when we've received God's kingdom, we've received all that we need in God's kingdom. This is why God's kingdom is where our treasure should be. We're going to take a next step today together as a community. We're going to take this next step together in communion. And this is going to be a beautiful moment. Because as we receive communion together, we are reminded of something. We are reminded of the extent that God was willing to go to give us the kingdom. I want you to think about this. As you come forward today, I want you to think about and you remember the extent that God was willing to go to show you how pleased he is to give you his kingdom. It reminds us of that extent that God went to making it possible to bring us into his kingdom family. So through communion, we remember the price that Jesus paid to give us the kingdom a price that you didn't have to work for or earn, but he does it for you. And it's a reminder of why the kingdom of God is our treasure. And this practice displays what the kingdom means to us. So I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Will you stand with me? Online, we encourage you to participate in this. Grab some elements from Wherever you can, if you're driving, I'm sorry. Um, Sorry. Um, So in this, in the room, um, I'm going to ask you to exit out your left, come forward, receive your elements, hold on to them. And this is what I want to ask you to do. Will you make it your prayer today that God made this kingdom be my treasure? And maybe you need to repent of some things as you walk forward of other things being your treasure. Would you come forward? Hold on to these. We're going to sing together in a moment.